Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. Well, strap in at home because today could get a little controversial. Today could get a little uncomfortable. Today could make you very squeamish in your seat. Yes, we are going to ratchet up the spice content today. And again... It could get a little controversial, and it might, but it may fuel ideas of your own. Dave, I don't know how today is going to go, but I think it could be a very, very uh, hot topic of conversation today, talking about things that are overrated in the movies. Overrated. Clap, 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 clap. That's how you introduced it to me when we were talking about this this topic and what we were going to do with it, and for, it was very fitting. For those who like to start their day and listen to a podcast or listen in the car on the way home, uh, you might want to put the beverage down because you might end up, what? Spitting it out all over the dash or whatever. <laughs> you said, what? I can't believe it. This might be that show, Maybe. Maybe we we've we've courted controversy a little bit before as far as like possible topics of debate. This one today, I think, could very could very much reach that realm. Well, when you're talking when we talk love for movies, yes, but there are things that are to some degree a poison pill, I think. And there are things that are overrated. They get all this hype and love and people buy into it and they watch it and they're like, I don't get it at all. I don't like this at all. And that is not good for really anybody. Maybe it's because it's, I'm not going to go down that far and say, oh, it's a lack of talent. No, there's all kinds of talent. But sometimes it's just improperly applied, uh, a good tool that's misused, you know, whatever it is. We're going to talk about what we think. So we're talking opinions now, and not all opinions, especially these days, are embraced. So, But that's what we're going to embrace. That's correct. What we think. It's all very subjective today, but maybe you'll agree with us, too. Maybe. Maybe but not. That's what we do on Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Dave Brooks. I'm Joel Hoover, and we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Boy, that was smooth, Dave. That was really nice. Why, thank you. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Hey, head on out to the Bemidji Theater. If you are ready to return to the movies, they are really excited to have you back. And you can come on out. Make sure you check the schedule uh, for when they are open and when films are showing there at what times. Um, if you are not feeling comfortable being back at the theater yet, you can keep on supporting them by visiting the concession stand. Grab some popcorn, grab some other items, uh, grab a slushie from there as well. You can bring those items on back and you can enjoy them from the comfort of home, but you can still also support the Bemidji Theater in the process. You know, I was, used to be a gal that worked here that liked eating burned popcorn, preferred it burned. And burned popcorn what? is one of the worst smells on earth, so oh. the whole building stunk. Now imagine coming back to work or home with legitimate movie theater popcorn and an icy and some candy. Who's got, that smells so, mmm, everybody's a, mood will improve, especially if you brought something for them. That's a little more wholesome. That's that's pretty <laughs> nice. So, Well, what's new in terms of this week is, 
hey, the box office is doing quite well. It's been it's been very solid, and we haven't even totally gotten to the big tentpole movies yet. Things have been solid at the box office, but F9 yeah, yeah. is opening this week, Fast and Furious, with yet another movie that defies logic, I, yeah. I think is the best way to put it. Um, just based on the previews alone and the fact that Han is returning, yes, it's going to defy logic, but yes... It's going to do a killing at the box office, and that right now is a very, very encouraging thing. You know, I'm not going to get down on Fast and Furious. It's not my thing. I've seen a couple of them, and it's just, it isn't. I know it's changed course into something like a mechanized Ocean's Eleven kind of thing now, and that's fine. If it's a good popcorn movie, and that's what you are entertained by and enjoyed, I'm not judging. Dave, That's you are fine. on fire today. A mechanized Ocean's Eleven. That's kind of what they've become. It's not about street racing anymore. Now, well, we need the nitro to get the thing so we can get the thing Nos. off the train. And yeah, it's, Corona flowing through the veins as yeah, they do all of this. It's about family and nitro and, and cylinders. Corotas. Family, Corotas. If, and if that's your thing, you go. You go, girl. But uh, I'm I've disembarked. But that's just me. I have two. Yes. <laughs> Somebody's buying tickets. Somebody's making them worthwhile enough that, at least from a box office standpoint, it works. And that's fine. But at It's some been point, working worldwide. At some point, I think even they know, okay, how much longer can we squeeze one more out before we jump the shark? And we're about to find out if they'll stick the landing. But evidently, it's doing well overseas. It's open in just about every country except this one until this weekend. So it's about to open here in the States this weekend. And will it stick the landing? Will there be an F-10? Stay tuned. I'll bet you there will be, but maybe it will be the descent. We'll they, they have literally jumped the median many times in this series. And I'm not even kidding. Oh, they I agree. jumped the median, and they have done so in ways that did not seem physically possible. It jumped the shark, but then it jumped back. And when Justin Lin got involved and kind of gave it its new spin, it was entertaining. It For a be, little bit. Yeah, but how long can you sustain the sugar high? You know, And so I think there's going to be a crash. After every sugar high, there comes the crash. Is this the crash? They've already had enough you know, dumb things. There's no way that such and such could happen. And already, will there be a backlash if Casting more of that pettiness. continues? Are we going to go? Now they got the. I think the big scene in this is they're connected to a crane and they're swinging over like the Grand Canyon or something. How believable is it? How many times? I think they're going to space too. Will they nuke the fridge to use an Indiana Jones reference? We'll see. And, you know, speaking of which, they have begun filming on Indiana Jones 5. Indeed. And we, in their honor. For better or for worse. Yeah. I, I really hope the best. And I know there's a lot of talent involved, but, you know, you need to be able to have the character do what the character needs to do. And one of the hallmarks is that largely it's Harrison Ford really doing it. Now, it's not like he's never had a stunt double. Of course he has. In you know, Temple of Doom, most famously, he hurt his back in a lot of scenes. Even with him just standing up was a stunt actor because Harrison Ford was getting back surgery. But, Oof. oh yeah, well known. But they're showing a lot of footage now where you get a young stuntman who's wearing a mask you know, that looks like those big coronavirus masks that cover your whole face, but it's got a printed younger indiana jones face on it so are they going to just have him be there and then digitally insert a younger harrison ford or an older harrison Ford, or whatever so clearly they're going to have indy do the stuff he needs to do but it's not going to be indiana it's not going to be harrison ford doing it which i gotta think when he's 192 is expected plot twist they're going to do what they did with grand moff tarkin in rogue one yeah. 
<laughs> but they'll do it for the whole movie with Indiana Jones and with Harrison Ford. Right now, Harrison Ford is that in is recording not valid, booth. by the way. That is me taking a, a, a big stab at that. He's going to be in a recording booth, recording every combination of vowel that you can possibly in, have in the English language, so that later you just type in the text and Harrison Ford will speak it out. And so it doesn't matter who they get to do the CGI work for Indiana Jones. It'll always be Harrison Ford, digitally sounding and digitally looking. I don't want to. I don't want to knock him. I really don't. This I could just, be very innovative. I mean, just just us coming up with stuff that is not true, by the way. But what if stuff? Boy, that would make for a fascinating movie. Wouldn't somebody it? heard me say it. Ooh, we could make more money rather than let's keep credibility. Let's just bank. So I think Harrison Ford is the, one of the greatest of all time, and Indiana Jones is a heck of a character. But at some point, Sean Connery couldn't do Bond anymore and didn't want to do Bond anymore either. It's time to give it up. You just you physically can't do it. And I would hate to see – it's like a broken-down Jerry Rice who went too long. You know, it's, it's sad to see a shell of himself. Well, Connery did say, never say never again. Yeah, but it wasn't all that good a movie. He remade no. Thunderball. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's why that's part of what the title was all about. Hey, never say never again. Roger about Moore could pull that off. Bond. The only thing Roger Moore had to do was lift his eyebrow in such an interesting way, and that was his Bond thing. And wear bell bottoms. Yeah, but you know, Indiana Jones has got to dive on top of the Nazi tank. You know, he's he's got to be able to do that stuff. And Harrison Ford, a tough guy. You know, he's a great actor and he did a great job. But at some point. My dad couldn't help me with stuff around the house anymore because he just he got old and he couldn't do it. And it's time to acknowledge that. And there's no shame in it. But you can't market yourself as Jack LaLaye and the ultimate, you know, physical specimen when you're 197. Yeah, Roger Moore was doing the robot by a view to a kill. No, he was connected to robotic servos to keep <laughs> him moving. I'll stop you, Blofeld. It was like Robo Bond by the end. Boy, we're throwing some zingers already, and we haven't even gotten into talking about our overrated stuff. So. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to be slightly controversial, I suppose. So. Are you ready to rip the Band-Aid? I'll let you rip first. Stuff? All right, let's do it. Um, overrated. So here's what we're... T- and we're going to just remind you now, there might be a spoiler forthcoming in something. Maybe. So if, if something starts to come up and you haven't seen it, there might be a spoiler coming. Be forewarned. Of course, these opinions are our own, not subject to the property and ownership of blah blah blah. You have, if you have listened to this podcast over a lengthy period of time, there's a very good chance that you have heard us talk about some of these today. There's, there is a possibility that there's maybe a repeat as far as what we've talked about. But I do want to start by prefacing something, Dave, and this is something I told you before we started today. I tend to focus a lot more of my attention on movies that I really like rather than movies that I don't like. Yeah. And that may not be the case for some people. They they may they may have their place for the movies that they like, but for movies that they really don't like, they've got this this burning fire of hatred toward them and that they will remember those movies very clearly. For me, I tend to remember the ones that I really like a lot more, and and those will stick with me more so. Um, but when it comes to think, like I had to think about it a little bit as far as, okay, what movies are more overrated in my mind? I had to think about that and give it a little bit of time. Plus, 
a few actors as well. I, I, I sprinkled in a few actors that that may go over a little controversy controversially. So we'll, we'll save that. Um, I'm going to start with a very general one. And I know you've got a couple general ones. Most of the best picture winners of the last 10 years, I think are overrated. I look at yeah, the, I look I at the list. Here's, here's the list of the last 10 years. I've seen, to be fair, I've only seen a small handful of these. Here, let's start. Let's start 2010 and go through last year. Um, the Hurt Locker, The King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, Twelve Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Green Book, Parasite. There's there's the decade, and then and then one more added on. That's that's eleven eleven best picture winners there. I, I look at all of them and I go, there's there's no there there's not a widespread appeal about I don't think any of them. I I do I will say I thought Twelve Years a Slave is incredible. It, it was very very hard to watch, very hard to watch, but it was very very good. So there's there's one that I look at and go, all right, that one that left a a a very deep mark as far as just how how powerful that was and and how good it was too. But I look at a, a lot of those movies and I go, there wasn't a whole lot of widespread appeal about any of those movies. You go back to the 2000s, the 1990s, you go further back. Yeah, you have you have some of these deep cut movies that are are going to be a little bit more of a best picture fodder kind of thing. But you also did have some movies in there that were that were also somewhat tentpole movies, so that a lot of people saw or a lot of people got exposed to and and really enjoyed. I don't see that with really any of the best picture winners of the last ten years, and that alone, I think, gives them a bit of an overrated tone to them because you you have to be of a certain cinematic appeal and a certain cinematic uh, cinematic uh, indulgence to really enjoy these best picture winners of the last 10 years or so. There's there's no widespread kind of common folk appeal to them. Again, that doesn't mean that they aren't good. Like I said, 12 Years a Slave is incredible, and it was a really, really good movie. But I don't like that, with, again, with all of them, it's not like there's like one or two where it's like, yeah, a lot of people saw that. With none of them, it felt that way. I, I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I think there are some things that are overlooked, but I think you're for the most part, right. I think some of those movies are actually really, really good movies. Uh, I thought, uh, the King's speech is absolutely fantastic. It talks about a really kind of obscure moment in British history that a lot of Americans might not even be aware of, but it really kind of fleshed it out. We know about the Iranian hostages in 79 and 1980, but how did they get out? At least a small group of them finally get out from the Canadian help with Argo and the way they basically built a fake science fiction movie around getting them out. That's really kind of a popcorn, but kind of a serious movie. Even if you weren't alive or old enough to really understand what was going on back then, it's kind of lays it out for you. And uh, I thought it was a fantastic movie. And the fact that it is as out there as it is, and that's the way it was. I mean, there's no way that, yes, they did. This is exactly what happened. And from what I gather, 
maybe some liberties taken at the end as to how close it got to the wire. No, it wasn't that close. It wasn't like the Von Trapp sneaking over the mountain at night. In real life, <laughs> they went to the train station, got on, and, and went somewhere over the border. That's how simple it they was. They didn't climb every mountain and ford every street. Yes, maybe in their free time, but not to escape the Nazis. You know, So they, a couple of liberties taken, but that's okay. You know, Made for a good movie, and it's not the spirit of it is true. And, but I think that movies being overrated and being more film and cinema rather than a movie has always been the case. And there's always been movies that people will look back at, I can't believe that this movie didn't even get nominated for Best Picture, let alone didn't win. One of the, it's been said one of the more overrated Best Picture winners was American Beauty, and it's one of my favorite movies. So it, it depends on your perspective. We can agree on another one, though, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, not a fan. No. Not a horrible movie, but certainly not deserving of the, you know, it'll live forever as a best picture. You know, I don't think it was worthy of it. I just don't. Especially when you look at what it was up against, namely Saving Private Ryan. There's no way. That one will live forever. Yes, one of the biggest snubs ever. And so it's it's just no way. There just yeah. is no way. But sometimes it breaks down into <sighs> the politics of the voting and the academy, and that's its own debate. And we've talked about that a little bit. Um, maybe it's the subject matter. Maybe it's this thing or that thing. Maybe it's something tied to something going on in the real world at that point. It's just lots of different things tie into it. So, But that's kind of what makes it fun and debatable. Does anybody really care this ultimately becomes the best movie of all time because it won Best Picture? No, box office is its own thing. You know, medic reviews, you know, and you get all the things put together. So you've got quite a, you know, all the critical reviews and all the fan reviews coming together to truly tell you which is the best movie by the audiences. But sometimes critics and audiences are so far apart. Seems uh, like they're getting further apart. In some ways. In some yeah. ways. It's getting more polarizing, I, I suppose. But, but you know, I think that that's just part of the human factor. It's why I don't want to see, you know, instant replay and mechanical lasers in baseball umpiring. I think part of what makes it fun, did he beat the throw and get the throw to first in time? No. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. And that's part of what makes it fun. And I think that's something baseball needs to keep. I think this kind of lively debate when it comes to movies is something that makes movies kind of fun because otherwise yeah. there's no podcasts to chit-chat over coffee and tea. You must be out of your mind, Mr. Hoover. I don't believe that that movie was quite so... That makes it fun, you know, so... Hey, I've got tea right now. I got coffee. Yes. I've got a nice milk and mocha. Speaking of, let's switch it over to you. What have you got? I will do the one obligatory one that I'll touch base on, but I won't elaborate because I've already elaborated on this. I think Stanley Kubrick is hugely overrated. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate on it in this episode because I've already done it. Even though some people may be new to that, yeah. I'll, I'll Just to really kind of touch base, I, he's a great visual artist, absolutely. But these stories are so poorly told, and they're so drawn out, and they're so nuanced-based, and it's always left up to your interpretation I mean, of maybe how the ending worked, or even he doesn't know what it means. Well, let's just do this. I think he's a slightly more successful version of Damon Lindoff as a writer, who always comes up with interesting things like The Fog and the show The Lost. Well, what was The Fog? Eh, I don't know. It's up to you. We just threw it in there, because why not? It'll ask, make people ask questions. But what did you think it was? Eh, I don't know. That was kind of an important part of that show yeah, early on, and nobody wasn't had it? an idea what to do with it, and Kubrick does the same thing. Well, how does he wind up in the picture at the thing? It almost is better answered in the film version of Dr. Sleep, which is a follow-up to The Shining, you know, as to how he wound up. But 2010, just about everything you see is, is hard to understand. But if you read the book, and the book and the movie were very much written together— uh, Clark had written the book and helped on the movie. 
you know, Kubrick had done the movie, but helped on the book. So they were kind of mutually created in a lot of ways. Uh, the book is much more straightforward and actually tells a story. And I've read the book and it's, I enjoyed the book very much. It's a good sci-fi, pure sci-fi story. And, uh, you know, this was almost, uh, the movie is more like religious faith. Well, it's a mystery. Well, yeah, but tell me something, you know, give me something. Well, you got to interpret for yourself. Then why do it? It's beautiful. But eh, Kubrick, everything to me is overrated, and I'll leave it at that. I've already talked about it, but uh, that'll be the fast one. So to get into Kubrick, something- Kubrick, everything though, like yeah. Remind me again. Have you seen Doctor Strange Love? Yes, I think that's a hysterical movie. It's funny. I but think it's, it's really funny, especially in the light of what when it was made and and the the whole plot of of the story. It, it's just. It, it's hysterical because it's like, you know what? In the realm of possibility, this could conceivably happen where you would have something like that. And I'm starting to, to talk like the president in, in the movie does when he's on the phone with, uh, with the, the premier of Russia. So of the Soviet union. So it's, it's just, it's hysterical in the farcical nature of it all. What about paths of glory? Have you seen paths of glory? Yeah, I think I saw part of it. I didn't see all of it. That's, that's another one that, Boy, that that really hits when when you look at um, the war as well as like the motives of, of the decisions the people make within. Um, quite a quite a movie in in that regard with what that does. Now, I would agree with other things. I I wrote on my list. I think The Shining is an overrated movie. I, I do too. I think it's an overrated movie because you you just ask yourself, what am I getting out of this? And you're watching things that just become very bizarre and very extreme in some ways not like clockwork orange extreme i think i think that movie is is very over the top clockwork orange yeah. um but yeah i i've watched the shining and i'm like what are we doing here like what what exactly are we doing here what what are we getting out of this what and it it doesn't it doesn't fully work for me now now it certainly grabs your attention with some of the scenes like here's johnny and all, and all of that stuff yeah you, it works there but it almost feels just too too hollow almost yeah. the shining does so i'll agree with you on in that regard on kubrick and yes i know 2001 a space odyssey that's boy talk about the realm of interpretation there's a lot of it there everything is interesting but yeah I, i'll agree i think the shining is maybe his best work but even then it's not great and it's just even i'd say his best work is is dr strange love even stephen king has said i don't like the movie version oh and i he know was very much yep. behind the tv version which i agree is a much better version it's much it's telling a story rather than let's just get weird okay but what does it mean well that's up to you Daddy! Oh, shut up. but i think every time you hear you hear, okay tell me a great example of a kubrick movie and they always bring up these particular titles and i could shoot them down one after the other i mean it's up to you and if that's your thing that's great and i'm not saying how dare you and we're going to cancel them because i don't like it full metal jacket but, is essentially two movies within one yeah but it's also they're movies that every time i see one of them i'm like i don't need to ever see this again ever i just don't i'll give you an example for my birthday a couple of years ago my wife got me a movie poster that's like a giant lotto ticket and it's got a hundred like scratch off squares on it and according to the poster it's like the hundred best movies you need to see before you die I agree with some I disagree with some but I've seen most of them and so it makes it no fun if you just get this thing and scratch them all off so we've changed it so you can only scratch them off if you've seen it in this house so we're gonna fill this particular building in which we live with culture I'm like all right I've seen back to the future a hundred times probably literally but I don't get to scratch it until we watch it in the house in and we watched and I've scratched it 
But there are some movies like A Clockwork Orange is on this list, and I don't agree with it, and I've seen it, and I don't have any desire to see it again, no. poster or no poster, so I get to scratch that one off. We're going to cheat, because that's I just don't want to. Agreed. And movie yeah. after movie after movie, Kubrick did this. Again, I've seen them. I don't like to ever see them again. I just don't. And I might watch 2001 if it's on, but I think 2010 is a much better movie. Anyway, I didn't mean to go way too down the rabbit hole, but you provoked me with Steve with uh, Kubrick. So Kubrick is, in my opinion, overrated, and I've talked about it before. So here we go. Now we'll start getting into a little more controversial stuff. I don't. Th- I'm not a big fan of movies that are visual stunning movies. This ties into 2001, but are lacking in other regards. They're just it's it's like cake with no dinner. Now it's that dessert with no main course. That doesn't sound especially controversial. Maybe you need to give an example or two for yep. it to start to get there. Movies in some cases that got way too much acceptance even after the fact, like the original Tron. I, it's a gorgeous movie, and it was controversial even at the time. It didn't win Oscars for best visual effects because, well, you cheated with visual effects. Majority of that movie is shot practically. There really wasn't much for CGI back then. A right. lot of it was done using a lot of in-camera trickery. But the movie for me is actually really kind of hollow. I think the sequel, Tron Legacy, is a far better movie. Not just because maybe it's visually more stunning. There is an actual story that's easy yep. to follow. And it's you, you lost your dad and he's stuck in this computer. So you get into the computer and you get to meet your dad. And I mean, it worked. There's it tied a story to the original. to it. And yes. there's the visual. Yes. Dave, I think you might be saying something that many people have thought. I think you could be onto something there. Yes. So some of them are bad movies, like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. That was Jude Law and uh, Angelina Jolie. Just It was beautiful. It was pretty much all shot on like an iMac at the time, which was top of the line. But it's a hollow feast of sugar is all it is. There's nothing to it. Uh, what was that um, Robin Williams movie where he goes to hell, but it's very visually beautiful? Eh. It's just it was just visually beautiful, and there was nothing else to it than that. If Dreams were, May Come or whatever it was called. Yeah, bad. But Leaning then on that. Then there's movies like Sin City. I mean, it's gorgeous the way they shot it, and then it's kind of a gritty black and white, but it's, that's, hey, come look at this. All right, but what's, what else? No, just come look at this. Like 300, same kind of thing. It's not that great a movie. It just isn't. But visual, oh, but you got to see it. It's really gorgeous. Yes, but I don't want to go to the art gallery, because that's what this is. It's beautiful to look at, yes. Now, what about the story? Tell me about the story. Well, you cannot get past. No, if you're trying to get me past the story and say and disqualify that there should be one, then maybe we need to rethink what we're shooting beautifully that has nothing else to it other than the beauty. I wondered if you were going to come after 300 with this. Yes. And now you have, and I, I'm sure that has gotten people. Somebody spit their coffee. <laughs> what? <Yep. laughs> They're ready to dig in and yell, We are Sparta. You know, and there's a lot of other movies that I could pull out. I'm not going to pull them all out, but movies that are dessert without dinner. It just it just rots your brain. It just rots your teeth. And there's it's you, you got to have a tripod, so to speak. You got to have good uh, visuals because what was the point of making TV? Was the big argument. Well, it's radio with pictures. You got to make the pictures interesting. Okay, so Kubrick's got that nailed. We can make something that's visually beautiful. There has to be a story. What are we exactly moving forward here? And I don't like the movies where it's a great performance in a bad in a bad role, and I might get to that later. Um, but there has to be a good story here. And if I'm just sitting watching a two-and-a-half-hour beautiful art show and there's no story and there's nothing to grab me, then we have failed as something else. And the most important thing in a movie, is it entertaining? 
If I'm going to rate a movie on a scale of 1 to 10, if it can answer yes to the is it entertaining question, automatically it gets a 5 right there. Everything on top of that is gravy. If I'm not entertained, we're not going to make a 5 and there's no point to even watch it again because it's not even entertaining. If you're just making a visual feast and you've got some great tools in the CGI bucket, well, what else have you got? Well, you got to see the sequence. No, no, no. Stop right there. Tell me why I want to see this movie. I don't care about you know, Han hooking his car up to a crane and swinging over the Grand Canyon. Why am I watching this movie? If you can't answer me that question and it's just beautiful to look at, stop right there. I'll pass. Overrated. Very good. Yeah, I think you I think you hit on something really good that that a lot of movies have defaulted to at times is is just trying to lean on the visual and trying to let that carry the way rather than the importance of story and the importance of plot, like you like you said initially there with Tron. You gotta start with that. You know, and I just watched Tron again not that long ago, the first one, because it is visually beautiful. And I thought my kiddo might like it. He was bored as well as much as I was. And I remember like <laughs> Whatever grade it was, the school set up, the whole school got to see Tron in the gym. Everybody's shifting in their seats. I mean, it's beautiful to look at, but after a while and that thrill wears off, then what? It's just, there's not much going on. It's yeah. just, I'm not going to knock the movie and say it's a bad movie. It isn't a bad movie, but it just, it's overrated. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we are discussing overrated movies today, as well as overrated elements of movies or even people involved with movies too uh i want to i want to go into some people a little bit here dave this this could get a bit controversial with with what i've got here so just just brace yourself um i'm gonna start with somebody who i think is somewhat overrated and then somebody who i think is definitely overrated somewhat overrated I think Meryl Streep is somewhat overrated. Oh. Somewhat. Oh. Somewhat. She has a record 21, <laughs> 21 nominations for an Academy Award. Like, it, is that more a, lo- a longevity thing? That, that she has just been doing this for such a long time that that feeds into it? Or is that almost too much? Like, I, I feel like sometimes when I see her get nominated for something, I'm like... All right, this feels like she's she's kind of rounding out the field a little bit. Or do they really think that she's going to have a shot to win this? Because she's been nominated so many times. And and it's like are they just kind of leaning on her because it's her and her name? Or or does she really have a place here? Because I I think she is tremendous. I mean, I am I am not saying I'm not knocking her and saying that that she's not good. I'm just saying like has she garnered has she garnered enough consideration to really get that many nominations? Because that's a lot. That's a lot. That almost says, all right, maybe maybe we are overvaluing her just a bit here. Like that's why I said this is only a partial overrated. I'm I'm building up toward the big one coming up here. Okay. Well, that's not big one. I don't think Meryl Streep. What? Again, wow. again, I'm not saying. I should pad my chest so when my jaw drops, I don't crack a rib. I'm not saying straight up she's overrated. I'm saying maybe she's I got somewhat you. overrated because that's a lot of nominations to be giving unless it's unless it's purely a, a longevity thing because she, she's doing this. She's been doing this for a long time at a very high level. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how I'd agree with that. I think that, I, I do think she's very, very good. I do think that 
Has she been nominated for parts that maybe weren't the best? Maybe it's possible. Well, Meryl Streep was in a movie. Well, then we got a nominator. It's Just automatic. Just kind of filling out the field. Yeah, I yeah. hear. It. Well, she was in a movie this year that we have to nominate her. Autom- Did you see it? No, but we got a nominator just because she's in it. I understand that's kind of more or less what you're it's saying. Automatically going to be good, or it's automatically is she's automatically going to be good in yeah. it? Yeah, I've not. I've seen. Pl- I'm probably not all of them, but I've seen many Meryl Streep movies, and I will point out she was not. Mer- she was not nominated for Death Becomes Her. Horrible movie. I'm sure she did a great job in it, but no. But I mean, she Silkwood wasn't her first movie, but it was like one of the first movies, and she did a great job in it, and she did a great job with everything she did. Sigourney Weaver famously said, I get all the parts that I get simply because Meryl Streep didn't want it or she wasn't available. I think available. she did say that, yeah. And yeah. I think there's a point to that. It's been an argument that's been made that women being written for characters in Hollywood they just don't write them. There's only three categories. You're either the the young girl, you're the mom, or this is the the actress who said his words, not mine. You're the the slutty whore type. You know, those are the three types that are primarily put together for women. And there's a lot more characters that could be done. Characters that are written for men that all of a sudden a woman will audition. Well, yeah, we'll let her audition, and a role written for a man becomes a female character. And it's a great character. Uh, Furiosa, for example, in Mad Max Fury Road was written for a guy, but then Charlize Theron came in and nailed it. And so it became a character for a girl and she and it nailed it. Great. Make, yeah. It almost stole the show for Mad Max himself. Yep. And, exactly. And that's awesome. But why aren't they writing the possibility for that in the first place? That's the other argument. So when you get the cream of the crop characters, whatever they are, Meryl Streep, front and center. Meryl Streep wants it? Well, let's get it to her. And that's how a lot of that probably happens. Again, like I said, I I think it's only a partial thing because of the number of nominations. I'm like, are we maybe overvaluing what she's done just a bit or... Or is it like, hey, she's she's been that good? So I think it's the second one. I mean, I I won't. I, I'm not in on the nominating process, but I'll bet you somebody. It's almost like when you go to the ticket. If you're if you're for such and such a party, and they have somebody the candidate, you just automatically vote for that candidate. If Meryl Streep is eligible that year, she just automatically gets the check mark of the ballot box to nominate her. Whatever. I'm sure that's happened, but it's not like you could point at one role and say no. It may have been a bad movie, but it was a good role. So again, I'm not saying that she is. I'm yeah. saying maybe only somewhat. I am saying Tom Cruise is overrated, though. <laughs> I am saying Tom Cruise is overrated. He is an overrated actor. I, I, am, I am fully convinced on that. I, I will give him his props on this. I think he is a tremendous stunt actor. I, I have a great deal of, of respect for the fact that, hey, he will do his own stunts. He will innovate with stunts. He will do those things. I think... That is very commendable. I think the rest of Tom Cruise's repertoire is extremely overrated. I think he, as far as delivering lines, I think as far as how he how he carries himself, I think he is he is very overrated. He forces things. He like I've I've thought that about a lot of his movies. Like I think Top Gun Top Gun is pretty entertaining, but it, it feels like Tom Cruise is just like overinflated a little bit in there. Um, I, just some of the other movies that I've seen that have him in them, like some of the Mission Impossible movies, again, same kind of thing. It feels like he's overdoing it a little bit, overcooking it as far as what he's doing. And and he's he's obviously got a face, no doubt about it. He's got a face for for his roles and, and for just being within that. But I, I have never rated him very highly at all. Just has not been... 
has not been my kind of guy. And I, I know that's this might stick in your crawl a little bit, Dave. No, I you, kind of agree with you. You do? Yeah. I thought this was really going to set you off. No. Like that you were going to go, oh my gosh, no, not it's, Tom Cruise. It's kind of like, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan, but I like a lot of Tom Cruise movies. Um, and if it's an action or just kind of a popcorn movie, they're a lot easier to take. But if he's you know front and center in a drama... He over delivers. He overdoes it. Absolutely. Thank you. There's a strong intensity where there really is a need for intensity. You know, maybe if you're in the cockpit of the F-14, you need to be intense. Well, that works. If you're in the race car or if you're going to beat the terrorists in, in Mission Impossible. Yeah, okay. But there are times where when he's explaining the knock list and he's really over the top and it just doesn't work. And if you watch him in a drama, like even Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. That's, that's the one exception. But there's other parts where he's really got it ratcheted up to 11 where seven would suffice. And it's just, it's too much. And when you watch him in an interview, I mean, how was your vacation, Tom? Do you have a good, it was excellent, absolutely exquisite. It was just remarkable. Yeah, we had a good time at the waterfall. I'm in love. I'm in love. Yeah. It's like he needs, it's it's not good enough that what he's saying, the words don't carry it. So he has to give it the emphasis he thinks it deserves by overselling it. Uh, the character of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, when when uh, when um, uh, Christian Bale did the role, he said he based it on Tom Cruise. Extreme intensity with a real bright smile, but nothing behind it, <laughs> is what he said. And I think that's not far from the truth. And I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, and I'm not getting into the Scientology stuff, but he overdoes it. You know, if I was to make him waffles, and I met him one time, actually, funny enough, true story, and I won't get into it, but... Uh, if I was, if he was a guest at my house and I made him waffles, hey Tom, how are the waffles? Truly exquisite. They were the best. They're ego waffles. That's all they are. There's nothing special. Did it fill your stomach and you're ready to start the day? I am ready to greet the day and challenge it to the best of my. Ver- it's okay, just not so you genuine. like the waffles, Tom? Is that what you're saying? It's just too much. It's not genuine. No, it's absolutely overselling it. If you do something nice for me and, I'm, and I just will not shut up about the thank yous and I won't even acknowledge, look, I'm sorry, I know I've said I'm thank you 95 times. Well, here's 96. I am so grateful. It just touched me in a way that has triggered this over-the-top emotion and I'm acknowledging it, but still, thank you. He would say like that for giving him a glass of water. Thank, I was so, I could have died of thirst. It was just a sunny afternoon, Tom. It over-delivers way and every time. So, subtlety. Would be better. Watching Robin Williams is a better example. Watching him in the movie Insomnia, it's almost more disturbing to see how subdued he is because you know Robin Williams, if you've ever seen him anywhere, he's a live wire. So to watch him very subdued and withdrawn, you know that at any second he could come crackling out of the gate and really set you back. And you know it could be coming. Yeah. And funny enough, it doesn't come. But you know it's there. And maybe that's the best part. He could take a lesson from watching that one role or those two roles, one hour photo and insomnia of Robin Williams, where it's all reserved. There is, Do a little of that. There is something to appreciate about those who get subtlety right, whether it's, yeah. whether it's the way that a movie is made or the way that somebody acts within it. There is something to appreciate about, about the subtle things, about, about allowing them to just kind of naturally act within it. And like you said, with Tom Cruise... There is just this feeling that it's not there. And I again, I thought this was the one that maybe would court some some pushback from you. No. I'm I'm glad you you kind of feel the same way because I felt like maybe I was going to step on an island and there may be people listening right now who are going, "Hoove, you're nuts. <laughs> you're nuts. This is this is crazy." But I'm and again, that's why 
With Meryl Streep, I was focusing on one thing that I think is yeah. overrated, even though I think Not she's, her, but I that mean, she's nominated more than maybe she with, should be. But with Tom Cruise, that's why I said I was building toward, I think the guy is flat out overrated. So He's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's got no place. He absolutely does. But he just he over delivers. And, and again, like I said, I have an immense amount of respect for the fact that he does his own stunts and innovates with his own stunts too. I think that's awesome. I think as an actor he's overrated. Yeah, and Over I think to you. he I think he manufactured that when he was married to Nicole Kidman in particular, you know, they did a movie with Ron Howard Far and Away, which isn't that great of a movie, but because they're together and they're both sexy and they're both it didn't matter. And of course, I won't even get into the Kubrick tie-in with those guys with eyes wide shut. That was the only appeal, and it was just, oh yeah, the less said the better. So moving on. Do you have any more? Over to you. Okay. Uh, this is one that I kind of touched on. Great performances in otherwise movies that are really blah, where the only thing you can really talk about is the fact that you see that guy's performance? Yeah, but what else? Uh, you know, Joker comes to mind. Joaquin Phoenix won the Oscar for, and it's a great yeah. performance, but the movie, eh. You've mentioned that before. It, yeah, I've mentioned yeah. it before. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is another one of those movies. It's really interesting, the concept where, you know, Brad Pitt is an old man when he's born, born looking like a raisin, and the wrinkles become less and less as he gets younger, as he gets older. Interesting concept, but it wasn't even the best performance. Kate Blanchett is good in everything, of course, but it was more about the interesting special effects of making sexy Brad Pitt look like an old man as they kind of cross and Kate Blanchett gets older as he gets younger. That's the selling point of the movie, and really that's all there is. I saw the first half of the movie before basically everybody watching it with us. We took a vote. Anyone want to continue this? No. Nobody was in, was enjoying the movie. It's just overrated, and of course it was up for Oscars. Monsters Ball comes to mind. Yes, Halle Berry won the Oscar for it, and she did a great role in it. Billy Bob Thornton, he's got a particular type of character that he can play, and he does it well, and beyond that, it's kind of hit and miss. But beyond that, it's a couple of great performances in a movie that's otherwise, and kind of and just because of the, the subject matter of it, it just makes you kind of feel like you need a shower after you watch the movie. You just kind of feel a little dirty after watching the movie. And it wasn't a good movie at all, but it had great performances. You know, I understand the need for character-driven stories where it's not so much about the plot, but it's more about the characters like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's really more about the characters than it is about what's going on until maybe the last 15 minutes and it all kind of comes together. But prior to that, it's much more about the characters, but it's done entertainingly in such a way that it works. But a lot of these other movies where you get a great performance just surrounded by bleh, it's just not enough to, to to make it work. Which is so disappointing, yes. isn't it? Because it feels like if you had just been able to flesh out the rest around this character who you're clearly building around and this person who you clearly want to fill that role, if only you had filled out the details around that, then you could really have something good on your hands rather than a sensational individual performance that has very little sub substance surrounding but it's not just, you know, I'll give you another really good example but of, the, of a good movie and it's a way that it's better done. Can you describe to me the plot of As Good As It Gets? It's, it, well, it's, well, kind of, it's a guy that's just hates everything but somebody's going to love him despite the fact that he's almost unlovable in a weird way as a way to describe that plot. But it's great performances by Jack Nicholson. I think he won the Oscar for that. Helen Hunt was in it. Greg Kinnear was up for Best Supporting Actor. It's got great cast. Uh, it's a great director and it's, but what's the story about? 
it's not so much that it's a great story, but it's great performances and not just one surrounded by nothing. It's great performances surrounded by other great performances, and it's very character-driven and in a way that is entertaining, even if the story isn't all that's memorable. But great quotes by Jack Nicholson, absolutely. But what's it about? It's still a fun and entertaining movie, rather than, say, where you have Joker, which I didn't think was very good of a movie. If I mean, you get some great things coming out of Joaquin Phoenix, but what else is there? Well, De Niro's in there, but was it memorable? Well, other than the fact, here comes the spoiler, so we've warned you in advance that he's basically like a Johnny Carson late-night talk show TV host who gets shot on TV by the Joker in a shocking scene that you really don't see coming, and that's maybe the scene of the movie it's shocking, but what else? You know, the movie was just kind of, I walked out of there just feeling sludgy. You know, just, it was a really good performance, and that was it. Everything else about the movie was just kind of, eh, non-memorable, not even really all that good, but built around supporting a really interesting character. It's just, eh, it's, just, it's not enough. It's not enough. And if you don't have a story or you don't have something positive that's going to contribute to something, and I know not every movie is going to be an upper. Some are going to be downers. Okay, it is what it is. But give me something. It can't just be about one great performance and it needed to be baked more. It didn't cook through enough. You know, you should have gone through a couple more things. Somebody who's overlooking the script. Where are the people that overcook a great movie and say, we need an extra Batman, we need an extra bad guy in Spider-Man 3 and you overcook it to the point where it is done and the souffle doesn't rise. Where are those people when you're making movies like Joker? To get, it needs something else. You have a great performance here that's going to be making somebody an Oscar, whoever you cast for this, but that's all there is in this. You need to come up with something else. Well, it's an origin story. Yeah, but it's really dark and it's gritty and it's not great. You know, cook up something more. It needs another couple passes. How many movies come through like that that are great for Oscar worthiness, and that's about it? Notice it didn't win anything other than Best Actor. No, yeah. But you got Heath Ledger, who won Best Actor or Supporting Actor, and there's so much around it. And it's an awesome movie, The Dark Knight. And we don't need to go down that road because we've already done a whole show on that movie. But uh, it just, yeah, I'm tired of starring so-and-so. And that is the only good thing about the movie, period. It needs to be better. I'm tired of those. Yeah. Overrated. How about some quick hits? How about I, I drop a couple Hit of me. movies and, and mention them as a few individual movies that I have mentioned before, perhaps, but I, I think they are in their own individual ways all overrated. I think I think the fact that Avatar has sequels coming is crazy. Uh, because I, I still think that is a very overrated movie. If you want the concept, if if you say the concept was was what was really appealing and the the visuals and stuff. I, I'd go well. There have been really great visual movies that have come since that have moved things along perhaps further than just filming an entire movie in one room. Uh, if you want to look at the story and say that that was what really stuck and like the themes of it, well, it's been done before. There there have been things that have been done before in that regard. We've just, we've got these blue creatures on this other planet, and and you're you're putting this in front of us and saying this is this is as big as it was. Like I still look back and I don't understand how Avatar made as big of a mark as it did. Is it the James Cameron factor? Is it like what exactly about that? was enough to say this is the biggest movie of all time as far as box office straight up without the adjusted for inflation. And now you're going to be making a, a whole series of movies based off of that. I, I, I'm i not a big predictive kind of person. I don't, I don't want to go and say that it's going to flop by the third movie or something. But I, I do 
I have a healthy amount of skepticism as far as how well will this actually stick when Cameron does roll out these next, what, four or five movies that he's got planned with this story. I'm like, how much is this actually going to stick and still be relevant to people 10 years after it was released? I still don't get the Avatar hype. So there's one. And I couldn't disagree more with that. I really thought that Avatar was that good of a movie. I'll give you a great example. I think it sums it up immediately. Shortly after the movie came out, my now wife, we were watching it at home, and she'd never seen it before. And so I put this thing on, and she was the same kind of attitude you had. Well, I don't blue people. I don't, I don't. And then the movie gets going, and I have it on disc, and there's two discs. You have to stop one disc and put in the second disc because it was kind of a longer movie. Right. And it ate up a lot of bit rate on the disc, so you have to switch discs. So we have the moment where you're taking a potty break, getting a snack while we're switching discs. She's like, I didn't expect this to like not just be good, but be like good, good. I like the story; it's beautiful, but it's really good. I didn't expect that, and that was kind of the thing about it. Since the movie came out, I don't see it anywhere, anywhere. You don't flip exactly. channels, exactly. So people kind of are stuck with an impression, and they don't get to reinforce or work against what they think. You don't flip channels and land on TNT or something, and there's Avatar, so you might get to sit and watch the second half. This was a good movie. It really, really was, and it spoke to a lot of different people, so I don't understand why all of a sudden, eh, it wasn't that good. Why? I can get it when you bought the Vanilla Ice album, but now the Wind Pants look is out and the Vanilla Ice look is out, but so I can't have Vanilla Ice. Yeah, you owned it. You know, I'm sure people bought a ticket to go see it to help it get there, and it probably got higher and people liked it or didn't like it. But overall, you don't get to that point where so many people don't like it. So evidently, some people started hating Nickelback, started hating Avatar. Some people buy into the hype. Yeah, it wasn't that good. Watch it again and see what you think. It really, really is, I think, a very good movie. I've mentioned this movie before in the past. I, I still think Grease is extremely overrated. I, I think Grease has one of the most hollow endings of a movie imaginable. The The fact that Olivia Newton-John's character sells out. I mean, she, she sells Nothing out. Nothing about the flying car, huh? She sells out in the... Well, yeah, sure, add in the flying car. Whatever. I could watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for that. Seriously. Like, she sells out. At the end of that movie, she sells out and says, I'm going to conform. And that's going to be celebrated? Like, for a dude who's maybe not necessarily worth it? Like, please, come on. Yeah. Greece, I think Greece is exceptionally overrated. I think it's great for what it is. I don't think it's... I think I would say it is a special movie, but is it based in reality or what it should be? No, it's like a hyper... You know, it's 50s nostalgia made in the 70s. So it's all singing and dancing. It's bubblegum is all it is. And that's all it is. But if you look for anything deeper than that, no, it's just not there. But is it good bubblegum? Yes, very good bubblegum. But that's all it is. Overrated, yeah, overrated. I, I think that's a fair criticism. Absolutely. That sounded better in my head trying to fit that to grease is the word. So. I have one quick uh, one-hit shot, Napoleon Dynamite. I don't get that movie <laughs> at all. And I certainly don't understand the hype. <laughs> I saw. It. I think you have to be of a certain age too. I think you to need to be baked on weed. <laughs> I think you have to be on drugs wow. to enjoy the movie. I really do. Uh, I, I don't. I, get I it. wasn't. I wasn't any of those <laughs> things, and yet I still laugh at that movie when I watch it. It's. I laugh as this is really stupid. I mean, I, I get the concept. I get it, but I mean the the love that it got to me was like. Let's pick a random independent movie this year and make it the media darling. And that just happened to be whatever, 2006 or whatever year that came out. That was the one they picked. I don't get it. You I mean just you don't. didn't have a vote for Pedro shirt? No. 
I had friends who had vote for Pedro shirts. It was basically let's make an awkward movie as awkward as we can and make it even more awkward. Here's the kick. We'll make it awkward for the audience to watch it. And it's just I kept looking at the people next to me like and just to gauge their reactions if they were liking it. And some of them were. Maybe it's me and maybe it just is. And maybe it was built for everybody but me. I completely acknowledge that possibility, but I don't get it. And to prove my point, what has John Hedder done since? Not really anything. It was kind of a one-shot wonder, and that's fine. He did better than most other people that tried to do something, so I'll give him all the credit. But that's it. How much Gee- you want to bet I can throw a football over those mountains? <laughs> I, you know, people get the thousand-yard stare after combat. I just get the thousand-yard stare watching that movie, trying to look <laughs> past the stupidity. I've got to be missing something. Did I sleep well last night? I've watched it like two, maybe three times, and it's not getting any better. So it's not me. It's not me. I don't think. I think it's just I, the movie. I don't get it. I lose it every time Kip drives over the piece of Tupperware when he's trying to show how strong and durable it is when he's trying to sell it. Then he just goes, "Dang it!" And then he just drives off. I mean, that sums up the irreverence of the movie. And again, it'll stick for some. For others like you, it it'll just be repulsive. I'm getting glassy eyed. You are. <laughs> That's my one shot. I've got a couple other uh, quick hitters uh, as far as overrated individual movies. I've mentioned this movie before, Gravity. Um, Gravity, I think, was pretty overrated. I think for a visual experience, again, going back to a visual experience in the theater, I think it hit in in that regard. I, I think it was very, very cool to watch in theaters, but it's like, all right, I've had it, I've seen it, I'm good. That's it. I don't think there was really much of a sticking point after that as far as like, hey, this is one I'm going to go back and watch again. Because again, this goes back to what you mentioned earlier about there wasn't enough plot otherwise or depth otherwise that was really given. And the first person nature of it, it worked for, for being for being in the theater and experiencing that in that regard. But you just didn't get a whole lot except for Sandra Bullock panic, panickedly breathing and George Clooney trying to be the, the voice on her shoulder. You know, I, th- I think you're on to something. I do think it's a, a better movie than that, but I think it's one of those movies that in a way is kind of based on a gimmick. And once you see the yes. gimmick, it doesn't hold up as well in repeat viewings. That being said, I've seen the movie several times. Like House do- of Wax? Uh, House of Wax? Yeah, the uh, the 3D elements of, of that movie. Oh, I didn't even bother seeing that one. The heck with that one. <laughs> well, That's, okay. There we might go. as well bring up some random person from a yearbook from a school I didn't go to. It just carries as much weight. It's it, Once you know the gimmick, it doesn't go as well. But, I mean, I think it was kind of a hit or miss when George Clooney miraculously survives, only to find out he doesn't. It's actually a figment of her imagination. Yeah. So it kind of you're like, okay, okay, but that's plausible. But once you get through the spectacle of it, it's kind of like the Blair Witch Project. Once the gimmick is through, it's not a bad movie, but it's not. it doesn't really hold up on repeat viewings like it does the first time. Yeah. And the whole shaky cam thing, after a while, you're kind of tired of that anyway. And there's other movies that are like that. Once you know the, the, the thing, it doesn't hold up as much because you know the thing and all of it is built around it. But then you get something like The Usual Suspects and you know who Kaiser Soze turns out to be. It's still such a good movie that it still holds up excellently on repeat viewings, and it's so nuanced that it, it works better. But Gravity, I, I think it's slightly better than that, but it's okay. once you've seen it the first time, it's not as good the second time, even liking it as much as I do. Let me pose a question to you, Dave, because I'm, 
I'm conflicted on this one a little bit because it, I, I kind of feel like this movie is overrated, but I also kind of feel like it's not. Hit me, baby. Do you think Forrest Gump is overrated? No. No. I think it's slightly overrated. Okay. I think I think it, it gets maybe more plaudits perhaps than it should. I, I think it's its charm only goes so far, and I don't think it goes quite as far as as some people allow it to go in a movie that is is essentially made up of uh, one tall tale after another after another after another that leads to kind of a eh kind of ending a little bit. Um, I I feel like it's it's slightly overrated, okay. but I I was I wanted to gauge what your mindset was on it. I think it is one of those that is clearly a character-based thing, because what's the plot of Forrest Gump, really? Well, it's a guy on a park bench recollecting these events that tie into his life, and you can't believe how over-the-top it is, but it's true. You know, I mean, even it's even brought, well, we were sitting next to a superstar. Would you like to see a picture? And, of course, it proves that it is true. You know, and so it's an interesting story, but the story works and if you break it down into smaller stories, Forrest Gump, in a way, is almost like an anthology yes. of numerous stories that all kind of tie together, whether it's Lieutenant Dan or whether it's Jenny or whatever. But Tom Hanks is what makes that movie work. And the funny thing is, the actor they got to play young Forrest Gump, and I don't mean uh, Haley Joel Osment, his son. I mean, like, in the beginning of the movie, I can't, uh, uh, something Humphreys, I think, is his last name, but I can't remember. He was a little kid, and he was from the South, and they couldn't get him to speak normally. So Tom Hanks said, well, why don't I just speak the way he does? And that's where the Forrest Gump voice came from, and it worked. Because you got a great actor in Tom Hanks, the same way that Daniel Craig, a.k.a. James Bond, can talk like Foghorn Leghorn in Knives Out because he can pull it off. Or in Logan Lucky. He can can make it work. (laughs) You know, so after a while, you kind of forget how stupid this is, and it works. You know, you're like, okay, this is good. But you got a masterful director like Robert Zemeckis. You have a great cast, you know, main front and background, Sally Field and everybody. Um, Gary Sinise can't say Robin Wright. You know, you got to bring him up. Um, but it works. I think it works. And it's very nostalgic for the time that it came out. People that were watching it at that time grew up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and the soundtrack is one of the best ever from some of the best pop music that had come out during that run. But the movie itself, I think it does work. It really does. The book, uh, the sequel book, Bubba, I think, Bubba Gump, I think was the name of the book, and Company, or whatever it was, not so much. It's trying to play fun with the movie in a way, and it's just, it's done. Well, sequel stuff yeah. runs that risk anyway. So I liked it. I think it works. All right. I, I wanted to gauge what you thought. So any anything else from you? I, I think I've exhausted things, although maybe the one other exception would be I think Fight Club is overrated. Um, I, I think that's it, it's over the top. I think there's some stuff in there that is very interesting like or or just some some parts of it, but yeah. it's very in your face with some of the graphic stuff about it too. Plus, it just is... It's just so depressing sometimes too at, at other portions, and I'm like, okay, this this is just almost too too out of control here for me. So that, class- that's another one. I would classify it as I understand the appeal, but it didn't really appeal to me. So it's like basketball to me. I don't like basketball. I don't hate basketball. I don't not see the value in it. It just doesn't speak to me. So it's not like Napoleon Dynamite where I just don't see the value at all. I get it. I could see why people like it. There's the twist. I get it. It's David Fincher. I get it. But it just it didn't speak to me. I just didn't, I was looking at my watch. I was like, mm. 
and ready to go when the movie was over. It just didn't speak mm. to me, and that's, yeah. and that's okay, and that's hit and miss. All right, back here's, to you. Here's my most controversial one. All right. You ready for it? Yeah, let's do it. And I was thinking about this as just general movies, and then it occurred to me there's a lot of them that have tied together one similarity, and it's the same director, and he's a legend as not just a director but as an actor, Clint Eastwood. Now, I'm not saying all of his movies aren't good. I mean, I love a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, and even some that he directed are pretty good. But once we got to about Million Dollar Baby, it became manipulative to the point where I don't like that. So Million Dollar Baby starts out as, well, I'm not going to train you because you're a girl. Well, you're a fighter, and well, you can rise up. And that's what you think the movie is. And for the first half of the movie, it is. We did warn you spoilers, right? And then there's a fight where she gets knocked and falls on the stool and becomes a paraplegic. And the second half of the movie now is trying to live up to anything as a paraplegic. And, you know, it becomes a question of right to live, and it becomes a whole different movie. And between that and all these other movies that Clint Eastwood did, they became very manipulative in the way that they were done. Now, I will also say that movies are kind of by their design when they're done well, meant to manipulate you, but they work best when you don't realize you're being manipulated. We want you to sympathize with, say, the bad guy character. And so we're going to manipulate things in such a way emotionally that you're going to identify with this person, even though they're evil and the things that they do. You know, but when it's so heavy-handed that it, you know what's happening and you know that you're being swayed in a certain way. You know, you look at Gran Torino, which in and of itself isn't a bad movie, but you know how heavy-handed this is going to be. You know, Clint Eastwood's character is going to sacrifice. Not only did he was star in it, but he directed it too. He's going to manipulate you in such a way so that he's going to force these, you know, these these bad guys to shoot him, so that these other group of minorities are going to have a better, happier ending at his expense. And his and his granddaughter is going to be cut out of the will, but the little guy that lived next door, whom he hated for most of the movie, gets his truly prized possession. It's just it's too strong and too heavy handed. And you can see a lot of that stuff from American Sniper to all these other things that I want to make you feel this way in such an overt, over-the-top, there's no magic act being pulled here. It's just straight up, I'm going to grab you by the chin and force you to look at what I want you to look at, and you're not using movie magic to do it. And it's just over-manipulative in a way, and I've got all the credit in the world for Eastwood. He's a very good director, but the latest movies, I think the last good movie he directed might be uh, Unforgiven is an awesome movie. You can't say enough good things about it. And he's done a lot of other things. As an actor, he does good things. He does, Clint Eastwood is a widget. You know, it's just, it's 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 an, it's an industry term, which is, this is what it is. This is all it is. Clint Eastwood could not play a character that's not Clint Eastwood. You know, he couldn't play something that's, you know. Comedic. Well, he could be comedic because I think he's got a good deal of charm to him. But, you know, Clint Eastwood and every character is a different version of the same character. Whether it's Dirty Harry with a badge and a gun in San Francisco, or it's the, the same with no character yeah. with a hat and a, and a poncho on, or whatever. It's the same version of the thing. And that's fine, because he does it well. I'm not going to knock that. The it's, versatility just isn't there no. to be able to really branch out of that. And no, the more you, the more you describe it, that. yeah, the more you describe it with the movies that he's directed, that's... I think that's a fair criticism. I, I think that's a fair way of looking at it, even though it's been under different movies and different styles of, 
of doing those movies, you're kind of getting the same thing rehashed perhaps over and over again rather than can you give us something a little bit different this time? But look it? at the subtlety that he's used before. It's not like he can't use or it. Or lack thereof. Or, but now it's lack thereof. But, I mean, look at Unforgiven. Here's this guy that has almost got a reputation like Jason Voorhees, one of the greatest killers of all time in the Old West, but he's been reformed. But as things progress in the story, now they've killed his friend. You could just see a switch getting flipped in this guy. And William Money, his character, goes back to drinking, and he just becomes this mm. Wild West massacre artist. And you see it the, the last scene in the movie, he lives up to the reputation. And this writer that's been following all these wannabes and has-beens realizes now he's in the presence of the real deal, and he doesn't dare get near him. Yeah. You know, that is stuff that when you see it again and you pick it up on a more nuanced level, it's really about violence. And even Gene Hackman didn't want to do the movie because he's very against, you know, gun violence. But his buddy, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood said, we'll do this. And he did a great job. Subtle, nuanced. It makes you feel what you're supposed to feel through the character, through subtle movie art manipulation. And now it's just, come here, look at this. It just, it doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't. And so I think... Everything. The newest film by Clint Eastwood, that doesn't do it for me anymore. It's become overrated. But that's not to say he is overrated. It's not to say he as a director is overrated. But it's become that. I think he's kind of phoning it in now. I think, I think however, with some of those movies, where I'll say the, the change is, is the fact that it does come within a different setting with each one. You get a different kind of setting, you get a different kind of story, because I think of, you know, American Sniper is going to give you a different kind of movie than, like, Gran Torino. You're you're flat out getting a different kind of movie. The subtlety may not be there, like you said, but at the same time, you're, you're at the very least getting a different kind of movie. You are getting something a little bit different with it that time around. So... I, I think you are partially right, though, that that with time, yeah, the, the heavy-handedness as far as this is this is the point that is trying to be made is getting lost, perhaps, as far as how to be able to do that. And that that's something that does frustrate me about, about movies, about shows, where they are trying to make a point that way, but they, they feel like they have to slap you over the head with it rather than going... Hey, let's let's just ease this in as far as we can make our point, but we're going to ease it in rather than coming down with an iron fist as far as being able to to make that point. I will say though that I I don't think those movies, at least these more recent ones, are complete miss on on Eastwood's part. But perhaps the way that he's telling that particular topic or that particular thing that he's trying to say through it, maybe that in and of itself has been more yeah, but almost I- too frontal. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're not. There's nothing redeemable about these movies. I think Million Dollar Baby is a good movie. I think that Gran Torino is a good movie. But like your point about Meryl Streep, where it's just it's automatically going to be nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, simply because it's Clint Eastwood directing and he's got this you know, credibility he's built up. I think in some of the more recent movies in the last ten years plus, that credibility is being eroded down. You always look back at Unforgiven, but Unforgiven was '92. 92, 93, somewhere in there. Yeah. And they're just not holding up. And the subject of some of the movies, like Blind Patriotism, where you don't stop and think and break it down, it's just you accept it as it is without dissection of what's true. You have the incident with the Americans in Paris on the subway that subdued the attacker, and they actually got the actual people to star. They're not actors. They actually got them to star in the movie as themselves. That's all that we need. No, it's just, it isn't there. American Patriot, so much of what is written about in that story has been legally disproven, and Jesse Ventura notwithstanding. You know, this guy said during the the Hurricane Katrina, he got up on the Superdome and started sniping looters below. Isn't that mass killing? That's 
that's bad. You're not supposed to do that. Even if they're performing illegal acts, you don't get to go up there and play executioner. So the whole idea of what you're subjecting as the story, as true, eh, you know, it's just like, well, here's something great to rally behind. It depends on what your rallying cry is. And that's another problem with it. It's just, it's got to be something good. It's got to be something, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's so heavy handed and you will feel what I want you to feel. And I'm not even going to try to subvert it with anything other than just, boom, so heavy handed. So heavy handed, kind of like his man with no name character. A yeah. little bit. Talk about not having nuance. Although I suppose there was maybe some nuance with him because he didn't say a whole lot. Yeah. But but boy, he let he let his revolver do the talking. And you know, like I said, I'm not knocking Clint Eastwood. I mean, those those roles, they're very much the same. Like I said, he's a widget, but he does a darn good job at that widget. And you've seen other people kind of try to do a version of it and nobody does it better than him. So it is what it is. I, I just watched Escape from Alcatraz the other night, you know, and he was he was in that movie, and that's him doing his widget, you know. Well, he's got his little comeback line, and that's it. And then he kind of walks yeah. his way through the scene, and he's got his comeback line, and that's what he does, and he does it great. So, I think it's worth wrapping up the episode on this. You have perhaps been listening to this today, and and maybe this Did you is build really up to your controversial one. You said you were building up to it. I'm waiting for it. No, that was Tom Cruise. Oh, well, that was okay. I'm glad that wasn't as controversial as I thought it might be. <laughs> well, but. for me, somebody right now is bashing their iPod against the dashboard. What did he say? Maybe so. But I, I would, um, I would say that it, you've perhaps been listening to this episode today, and maybe you really dislike some of the ones that Dave and I brought up. Sure. What's neat about an episode like this is that it is very subjective. It is very subjective as far as what is overrated, and especially if you are making a point to say that something is overrated, that is. That is a very big, subjective kind of thing to be saying. However, you might now be thinking about things in the movies that you think are overrated. The, the key here is if you think that something is overrated, you've got to give a reason why. That's part of what is, what is fun about an episode like this is we get to flesh out by talking with one another a little bit and with you as the listening audience. It's a chance for us to flesh out this is the why behind me thinking this about this particular character or movie or just general trope. It may not necessarily be true to you, but but at the same time, like this is all pretty subjective stuff as far as like what our opinion is of this entity and what it what it may be. You might have some that you're thinking of now too. If you think it's overrated though, have a reason why. You better have a little bit of backing to it rather than just I think it's overrated and that's it. Here's one of the fun things. Movies, in a lot of ways, are just consumed. Okay, that's done. Next. You know, like the, the idea behind Especially streaming. in the age of Netflix. Yeah, but other people, like Hoove and I, like to sit down to a movie almost with a fine cutlery set and, and really bring it in and digest it and take it apart and really enjoy it for what it is. It's like, I don't want to just watch the movie on streaming. If I really love the movie, I want to get it on disc so I can watch all the supplementals and the director commentary and blah, 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 and really break it down. You know, the same thing goes the other way with what Hoover's saying. One of my favorite movies of all time, American Beauty, won Best Picture, and it's considered one of the more overrated Best Picture winners. Well, I'm a big fan of that movie. I'm not just, well, that's totally not. Let me take a listen to the argument. You know, well, I could see some things. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, this bag blowing in the wind. Is that a little overhanded, a little too artsy? Yeah, maybe, but, you know, it is what it is, and you're still talking about teenage angst, where teenagers and angst can pull the most lavish, 
meaning out of nothing. You know, and that's just kind of what it means to be an angsty teenager. So if it's a bag blowing in the wind, great. It is, I suppose, something beautiful in its simplicity, but is it overblown? Maybe. You know, the way that movie was going to be made, there was a whole second part of that movie that they did shoot and they never put it in because the movie deals, you know, the very first scene, it's the voiceover of Kevin Spacey says, I'm going to, I'm going to be killed. What? Huh? And at the end of the movie, he is killed. There was a whole part of that movie afterward where it's the trial. And where the daughter is talking to the boyfriend about, you know, will you kill my dad for me? Sure, it'll cost you, is played in the trial as convicting them. Well, none of that makes it to screen. They're like, well, this just seems like it's something else. Let's cut the whole last act of the movie. And so it really just exists as this man discovering that life is still worth living and you can still get it back. And to me, that's one of the best things for me about that movie is that you know, when you realize you've lost something, it's never too late to get it back. That was, I was kind of going through a dark time at that point. The movie came out and spoke to me. I was like, yes, that's a good thing. Maybe things suck right now, but there's always a way to find to get back to what you were. And you can always reapply that over and over. And to me, that was the message for me. Other people get a different message. So, but can I recognize why people think what they think? Yeah, I could see it. But I still don't agree with it because I think this and, and that's okay. And there is no right or wrong to this. Maybe people love American Beauty. Maybe people hate American Beauty. Maybe people that voted for it to win Best Picture, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe it's hard to watch Maybe. now because it's all about Kevin Spacey. Uh, who knows? There's a lot of different ways to look at it. But that movie is very artistic. But even the way it's made, just the way the shots are composed and the lighting and Sam Mendes directed it, it's just it's a gorgeous movie. I love Thomas Newman, who's a composer. Yeah. Everything about that movie, I think, is just gorgeous art, and it works to me. Reconnect Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. It's located on Highway 2, just down from the Bemidji Airport, as we are talking about some of our own personal overrated aspects of movies today. You know, for controversial, that ended up going pretty civilly, Dave. Well, that's because they haven't had time to mail us the hate mail yet. We haven't posted this at this exact moment because we're still recording. Well, I mean, between you and me, it went pretty civil. (laughs) I mean, there was some disagreement, but at the same time, there was at least explanation. You know, if you watch the, if you're old enough to remember Siskel and Ebert, they would literally get into arguments over, I can't believe you voted this was a bad movie. I don't know what you're thinking. If you think one thing and I think another thing, that's fine. And maybe yeah. that's something that in this day and age we've lost as a culture. Boy, if you don't think what I think exactly the way I think, ba-boom, ba-boom, something's wrong with that. But if you could sit down and have a discussion to that, man. about whatever it is, politics, culture, movies, whatever, you think that, well, that's interesting. Why would you think that? I totally disagree, and here's why. But neither one of us is sitting forward in the chair and shaking our fist, and our friendship right. is over unless you be- if you don't like American Beauty, if you never saw American Beauty, I don't care. It's okay. Lots of movies I've seen that are awesome you've not seen, but that's why I've got them on disc. Who, have you got a player still? You want to borrow something good? Here, try this for the weekend. It's a great show. That's kind of fun, and maybe you agree with them. Maybe you don't agree with them. That's okay, but it, it just it is what it is, and that's one of the fun things about movies, talking about things that you know maybe bring us together, even if you don't agree. Just the talk over coffee about talking about, you know, Quentin Tarantino in general kind of brings it together. Even if you hated Pulp Fiction and I love Pulp Fiction, it doesn't matter. I wish there were times where there's a movie I've seen that, that you haven't that I can loan you, but that's that's super, super rare because you've seen just about all of them. It, it amazes the truth me to still. That. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.